0: You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Life can't be so shady The some people try to. Today's episode I'm lucky enough to have Professor Amanda Kirby talking about our children going back to school so it's going to be a challenge for a lot of parents now having their children potentially go back to school either now in the coming weeks or in September Uh, and some of the things we talk about on the show today uh, are simple things that you can consider to help make that an easier transition so uh, you know um, driving by the school, talking about the first day, going through steps with them, trying on the uniform, laying out clothes the night before, being re- reassuring, um, starting to prepare them for the realities of what the school environment like might look like to um, relieve some of the anxiety that not just neurodiverse kids will be facing, but actually all children and parents. So this is a really interesting uh, session we've got today that hopefully will be useful to painters because certainly I find uh, the information that Amanda Kirby shares to be really, really helpful and has been helpful specifically over the last few months. Enjoy. Professor Amanda Kirby, welcome to the show. Absolutely lovely to have you on. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to those who might not have had the pleasure of meeting you or seeing you virtually online?
1: Sure. Um so I am uh, lots of different things on different days for different people. Um, so I'm a grandmother, mother of a really neurodivergent family. All We've got lots of neurodiversity in our family of all sorts and colours and hues. And um, I'm a medic, I'm a doctor and a professor of developmental disorders, neurodiversity. And I'm a CEO of a... Uh, tech for good company uh, around neurodiversity.
0: Amazing. And you're really well-networked, well-known, I guess, within the neurodiversity community and within, I guess, the academic, academia community around this subject. You are recognised as a leading expert um, within this field. Um, And I've certainly been following you for, for some time because you shared some absolutely fantastic information and content. Um, which is really useful. And that is why that is why we've got you on the show today, because uh, there's going to be a lot of people going back uh, into either their work environment, they're going to have children going back into the school environment or into a care setting. It doesn't necessarily have to be school. Uh, and probably there's a huge amount of anxiety. I know through my network, there'll be a lot of people who are thinking, how am I even going to do this? We were We were struggling already. Um, or isn't this brilliant can't wait to get them back so, <laughs> which, which might be the other thing you know we got to consider the door. yes out the door <laughs> absolutely so I guess as an intro then what 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 broadly um are you seeing at the moment kind of what um what insight can you give us to kind of give us the the, the headline view of what's going on here from a your bit,
1: perception. Yeah, so a bit like you were just saying. So, some people have really found the experience if they've got uh, children who were very anxious at school and they were finding the sort of sensory environment at school, uh, social interaction with lots of kids, difficulty doing something like recording and sports, and found that all that thing quite overwhelming. Have actually seen in their children being at home um, a period of calm, reduced anxiety. Um, actually seeing them thrive during this time in actual fact and then you've got some parents who said well actually it's really difficult my child's got attention challenges it's quite quite hard for them to focus and getting them to do anything and I'm not a teacher so you know I haven't suddenly qualified Um, it's this is a nightmare and I'm really worried about the gap in learning and and so we've got two ends in a way and then we've got Parents in the middle who don't have children are neurodivergent, and who who are saying, "Well, actually, I feel really anxious as well. I'm worried about my child going back. I'm worried about them becoming unwell. Um, and so they're anxious for themselves, and they've been at home maybe as well, balancing home and work life, and they've got their own personal anxieties as well. So you've got sort of, sort of different groups. Some saying, "I feel very anxious. I feel anxious for my children." And I'm I'm worried about what's next. And some saying, well, actually, he's much better at home. Um, this has been a revelation. And I've seen him be creative and engaging. Uh, so yeah, there's not one picture going on actually at the moment.
0: Yeah, and that's that's kind of how I feel and and my perception of, of I guess what I'm seeing out there in the wider world. But I guess okay, let's go through this in stages because I think. Uh, if I think of me as a parent and, and what I'm going through with my wife, there's the the current state and situation, which is we are at home, homeschooling, we don't know exactly when that's going to change. Let's say for us it might be September, mm. where my son goes to school for the first time, where my daughter will be going to third year junior school or whatever it is, um, and we don't even know what that environment's gonna look like. So if we just take you know, like what we're going through at the moment into consideration, um we as, as parents are um, both working in organisations that are really respect the current situation that we're in um, and try and give us as much freedom and flexibility, but actually you've still got work to do. You still got to get work done. And we have still got two children at home um, and that no matter whether your child is back feeling better at home than in school or is more anxious because they want the interaction is really difficult um, what thoughts and views and hints and tips have you got on on the basis of where we're currently at in that cycle?
1: Yeah, so we've got different sort of we've got bits of transitioning at different stages, and I think that's the bit that's causing a lot of parents' anxiety at the moment. Is actually as businesses are transitioning back to work, hopefully, um, the expectation then of their workforce to be available to attend and go and perhaps return bef- over the summer period when your children are at home opens up a new level of challenge so I think that's that's the first thing so you're managing your transition back and you're also managing your children's transition and the challenge will be also is that you may not have uh, parents around to do some of that caring the the things you would do over holidays may be just harder to do so I think the first thing is to start planning that you are going to be going back to work and how that's gonna be managed. And I think if you where possible is to start to think about other families that can co do some co sharing or of childcare. Cause otherwise I think it's going to be an impossible situation. Uh, certainly I've got my son who's got two children at home and I think there was one day he said I think I'm going to set up home in my my car my office in my car (laughs) because he couldn't (laughs) (laughs) because I think it was the impossibility of being at home and having you know young children who just thought well daddy's home you know and I think there's been leeway because people have said we're all locked down as we move into this next phase I think employers or will be understanding, but probably less tolerant in reality. So I think one of the things is what other sources will you be able to do child care and shared child care to be able to manage your workflow as well? Now, for your children, I think we need to be thinking about um, preparing them for transition as if you were preparing children for transition starting school or moving from primary school to secondary school. What would be some of the things that you'd need to do? And particularly for kids who are neurodivergent, who might have dyspraxia or or ADHD or autism, who might need help and support where things are new. So... I think it's in preparing for what might be new and preempting that. So that could be thinking about a new uniform. They haven't worn school shoes for a long time and they're going to be wearing school shoes, might be moving from primary to secondary school and they're wearing new clothes with new fastenings. It might be things like self-care, using the toilet. I'm going to be posting something up shortly about that. But you know, if if people can't help you and you're needing to do this more independently yourself. Then actually practicing those things and making sure your child can open up their packed lunch and open up a packet of crisps properly, you know, so they're not struggling and they don't eat, can't eat their lunch and they can't open their lunch box because they might that might be what's needing. So, as a parent, just walk through the day for your children, whatever age they are, and and think about the things where they may need to have to do things independently for themselves, and start practicing some of those things. Over these next few weeks, and those are things that parents can do around the independent skills, whether that's cutting up things or right, or even doing some of the things that they need to do back in school, whether it is reading and writing, but not doing the teacher stuff. It's really more about the independent stuff.
0: So it's yeah, that's
1: yeah. So I think that's really yeah. important because I think we forget those things. Yeah. So managing money, you know, what what are you going, what are they going to be doing? How are they going to be doing it day to day? The little stuff.
0: Yeah, certainly. And so one thing that comes to mind is also what, what the the anxiety around what the future will look like when they go back in or when they arrive there. Some things that happened um, as they were finishing is both my children and the children in the local community had all cuts and sores over their hands from how vigorously they were uh, having to wash their hands. And, you know, I guess this anxiety around, did they go back to that? I mean, what level of... Um, What level of measures are they putting into the school uh, that maybe the school take to the point of extremity whereby actually it has a a really negative impact on our children? And sometimes we don't see that. It's not visible to us um, uh, until, you know, it's too late and they've got cuts all over their hands from how vigorously they've been washing them.
1: So I think there was a sort of a, a a mass sort of thing, wash your hands, wash your hands, and we do need to keep washing our hands. So, But I think that's being tempered by when you need to wash them. You need to wash them regularly. You need to wash them if you're going out and you're needing to do things. But I think some of the guidance on how to wash your hands, when to wash your hands, and not to do it all the time, I think will be tempered a bit now in terms of these are the time points you need to do so. Where I, th- I think in the beginning of all this, there was like, keep washing your hands and so I think for some children they became quite obsessional about I haven't washed my hands and 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 absolutely right children's hands got sore so I think the guidance is a bit clearer about when to do that I think one of the things is around social distancing or physical distancing it's really difficult to know what two meters is if you asked a seven-year-old what two meters was they wouldn't really know that. So one of the things I put up recently was, you know, and perhaps that's something you could do with your, your kids, is, you know, how many jam tarts is one metre and how many dogs are two metres and, you know, things around you in your home that you can measure what two metres looks like to conceptualise for your children what that actually means. So that it's, it's, it's almost normalised a little bit as well. So I think that's really important. So I think that, that so that's something you can do. So we start to say some of these things are things that are going on at the moment, and not and take some of the fear factor away. This is an awful time, but also these things have happened before in history, and they might happen again. And we actually find ways of of get thriving at the after this point, you know. So one of the things I was thinking about for kids and parents that so you could be doing even at this time is that when they go back into school and when they're um, perhaps they're going to be walking to school or they're going to be going out more is they're going to see more people with masks on. And one thing we can also is to to sort of say and something you can do over the summer as well is to show that we've used masks in history in times from from thousands of years from you know the um different cultures different parts of the world we have painted masks we've used them to protect ourselves so this is not new and that then sometimes we do wear them and then again sometimes we don't wear them and i think sometimes helping children to see this is changes normal things happen we have earthquakes and we have Uh, tsunamis and we have hurricanes and we have things that are going on in the world but actually you as a child and that's building up the resilience in your children is that you've got inside you to be able to look be strong in yourself and you as a parent will help them to grow that strength and I think that's the things that we can do to reassure our children despite this time of change that actually these things will pass and and it's an ebb and flow that's happened before
0: I love the history of masks. That idea, that is, that is the thing we will now do with our children here. The history of masks. I mean, that is a, a you know, you struggle to try and try and teach your children in the uniform way that the school expects. And I mean, you'll know this and, and anybody listening who has kids who are neurodiverse will know this. Um, I'm neurodiverse. You know, my wife uh, has to find way or over years has found ways to deal with me engage with me get along with me you know and, and vice yeah. versa yeah. um but also then she's got the challenge of me not being the uh you know I failed academia I went as a mature student to university so I'm not a teacher no. at the best of times um and and therefore to teach somebody who is also very much like me is even more difficult but yeah. then for my wife it's an impossible task as well so there's a there's a one there's an appreciation for teachers which we had anyway because i my sister's a teacher. I respect the teaching profession. Um, but but there is an appreciation of how little funding, support or um, ability there is to really teach my child, because we've seen firsthand how many barriers there are. And actually, when you look at the feedback being, you know, your child is um, full of energy and gives everything their best, however, they, you know, they they, they don't really meet this, this and this. Um, that is because they've not got the ability to teach them differently or to give them the extra time. Or, and even when we have, we we really struggle. So I think there's something that goes on in my head, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts and, and maybe what the parents feel about this. But actually, there's a real benefit to my child being in school because of all the other parts of being in school, the environment, the w- working with other children, the solving problems, but actually being taught that the proper lessons, the plans, that's not working. Clearly, it's not working. Mm. Uh, and actually, we don't have the capability at home to, to make it work either, mm. which I, I then makes me think around what what is the future here? Um, and this is probably huge conversation to, to <laughs> bring good. up. <laughs> but, but, but it does, you know, when you're isolated and you can't go out and you've got your children here and you're trying to do your own work and you, it does become it comes to the forefront of your mind. It does. Um,
1: I think that it, uh, I did a review recently of, sort of um, what schooling is like across the world and in terms of how many hours a day there are and, and what the school year is, hugely variable across the world. So some, some, some places it's six hours a day, some places it's nine hours a day, some places it's 30 weeks a year, some places it's 40 weeks a year, right? So what represents education is, is very different from country to country when we start, when we finish. And I think one of the things that's really changed during this time is that we we will see, we're seeing it with sort of working from home as adults, that we're flipping our workspace for quite a lot of us. And that will, to a large extent, I think, continue. There will be a change in terms of where we work and how we work, that we won't go back to as it was. And I think we're, we're learning that actually there may come a point where we will have a different sort of school day, is that for some children, being in class five days a week, nine in the morning till 3.30 or whatever the time is, is not optimum for their working. But it might be because you need to have a balance between you're in school so your parents can get to work. (laughs) It's an element of childcare there as well, social opportunity, social interaction. But we have to sort of question of what education is. And actually, I think sometimes as parents, I've heard lots of parents say, but I'm not a teacher and I can't do this stuff. And that's absolutely right. You haven't suddenly become qualified during COVID-19. You know, you you don't know the, the techniques and the ways of teaching, reading, spelling, writing, math or whatever it is. And why should you? That's why we have qualified people. And, and I respect teachers hugely as well for what they do and how they do it. But it may be we will have a blended approach, even with school, because there is something just in the news today about how do we have enough space in the schools if we're going to have 15 in the class and not 30 in the class. And even if we use all the village halls, they don't have the technical ability. So the world is changing, whether we like it or not. Um, And how we work and how our children work will change. And there's something called a flipped classroom which is a, a sort of technique in, in universities that is changing and in some schools as well, where your time in school is around, you do your work at home, if you can, it's set for you, but you discuss your problems with it in in class. So it's a bit like if I was learning about the history of, of masks, I would get you to go away and look up all about that and and perhaps uh, design a mask for, from an, your own mask, and then bring that back and come back and share that information with others in, in your class about what you found. And together you'd explore and together you would learn that stuff together. So there's an element of working outside the class. And that might not be at home. It may be in an in in area that's not called school and it's not called home in the future. You know, it might be a community setting where you can do sports and you can access the Internet. But I think times will change. I think times will change because if more parents are working from home and you can't work from home with your kids there all the time, we're going to have to have something in between the two.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, for example, just, uh, you know, classes like uh, gymnastics in the morning that bridge the gap between eight and nine um, and after school clubs and things like that. I suppose we've already started to create a wide variety of different activities and yeah, uh, and things that kids can get involved in. So I suppose it's an evolution of that, really, isn't it? It
1: is. It is very much that, and I think that's the bit which is we're trying to work it out. I I can't see um our work. Uh, we won't go back to how we are because for there was a a study done a few years ago. Uh, looking at the effectiveness of working from home on productivity and well-being, in the, in it was done in Japan and showed uh, they did a randomized group. They put one group at home and one group remained in in their offices, and they showed increased productivity and increased well-being. But at the end of the study, what was interesting, people who could choose to go back to the offices, some people wanted to go back to the offices. Some people didn't want to work from home. And so we're going to have to have a blended educational approach and a blended work approach. And working that out, what childcare will look like, is going to be a bit of a muddle to start with. Um, And I think that's what's causing anxiety. Change and lack of clarity causes anxiety for people. And it particularly causes anxiety for some of our children who are on the autism spectrum, who do find managing change, it creates more anxiety for them not having clarity about what the rules are. So I think that if we're thinking about preparing for school and going back, is the more you know what's going to happen. And actually, if there's an opportunity for your children to go and visit the class to see what's going to happen, to know the name of the teachers, to know who's going to be in their learning sets, if they're going to be in groups of 15 as much information you can be armed with it's a bit like us returning from work if we've been on maternity leave or sick leave knowing what's happened and who's there what the names are and what what's going to happen next is is good for all of us isn't it really reassuring
0: absolutely we do it with joining a new organization candidate experience you'd make sure that you onboard them properly you tell them who the team are you give them as much information up front as they can handle Um, and that helps reassure them and make sure they're not Anxious themselves. And we're talking about adults here, not children who, who may have higher levels of anxiety because it, it's all new for them. I mean, what what I'm seeing is that um things that you would take for granted normally in our community where we live, is they will go to a care provider, whatever it is, when they preschool, um, and you will start to get the um the your Children will be sent over to the local school to kind of have that onboarding experience. They'll go and spend a couple of hours there. Well, all of this is gone, of course. So my son starts his first year in September, all being well. And, you know, that that happens in some way, shape or form. But um, we're not going to get that natural kind of onboarding experience. So I guess from what you're saying there is we need to find a way as parents to to maybe create that, to to um, to force that i I guess because it will okay. be happening in yeah. in ways that it normally does,
1: yeah, so I think it's it's really if you you need to imagine for your child from the moment they get up in the morning till they go to bed at night when they go back to school. What things will they have to do they haven't done in the last? So that could be it's getting up at a certain time, whereas maybe it's been a little bit more flexible now. It's putting on clothes that they have been unfamiliar. It might be if they're older and they have to wear a school tie to, to learn to do the tie and the buttons up. They may not have had to change the games and they're going to have to change perhaps more independently now than before. Uh, because they're going to have less assistance, it might be quite likely. So that might change your view on fastenings. And so these are things that seem trivial, but actually are really important, because if you can't get changed and you can't ask for help, so you might want your school trousers to be a little easier to pull down to go to the loo, for instance, you know, but actually really important. Um, So you need to sort of go through that day and really think about, just walk through that day if they're sitting down and they're having lunch can they manage to feed themselves independently can they open the container um how much can you work on because those are the things that're going to trip your kids up and cause them anxiety it's probably not the reading writing and the spelling actually uh because that's the bit that teachers do really well <laughs> you know they they know how to teach that stuff but it's those other things around independence socialization which is going to be more challenging and I think in that transition and preparation is as you say there is that normally you would your children would have engaged socially much more and that have had less opportunity so I think that's the the checking in with them to say how are you feeling and giving them an opportunity to either show their emotions after school and in school is going to be really important as well that they feel that they they can make mistakes. And, and and like we talk about onboarding in employment, we're quite likely going to have to do an induction for children in school and an induction in children for, in school several times because to reinforce this, to give them more chance to learn how to settle in, there's going to be a needing to be a more of a settling in period and allowing that to happen.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Goodness. Um, there's so much to consider. And I guess we still don't know what it's going to look like. We're still, um, I guess, waiting to see what happens because, you know, the, the, the parameters are being moved all the time. The government are changing their viewpoint um, regularly. So I guess uh, that, that's something that we have to, as parents, have to think about as well. We can plan all of this, but then all of a sudden uh, they move the line. I know.
1: I think interesting enough, my grandchild's gone back to school, and uh, and he he's actually thriving. They made the decision to go back. You know, he has extra support in school, and and his father was saying that actually, that now uh, there's more space because there's smaller classes. He's going on some days to school, and so he's having you know smaller class size, more space around it's actually been far less stressful than they thought. So I think the fear of what's going to happen and the reality of teachers are being are really thinking about it carefully and how to prepare the way and what to do and what the day looks like. And there are some schools that have got kids back, and so we're learning all the time about how to do this better so that by September we're going to have some really clear ideas. We've got a, a programme we're just starting going out to schools in Wales Um, Talking to the teachers, talking to the pupils, talking to the parents about what their concerns are and planning a transition map as well with resources and they'll be all freely available and I'll share them with you as soon as they're out.
0: That's amazing, and I mean yeah, all the information you're already sharing has been really useful, you know, uh, as I mentioned uh, myself as a parent um it's been real reassuring and uh and a big help to have all of the the content information and guidance that you're sharing amanda um so that's brilliant um any final tips, hints, things that we should be considering uh
1: I think the most important thing as a parent. Is your child's well-being, and that they feel secure, and they and they and they know they've got you as a base. That is the most important. So, out of all of this, we all know learning can't happen unless your child feels secure and and feels um, happy in themselves. And if there's anything to do, is to have fun over the summer. Is not to worry because that'll be the summer you remember, not the summer when you were so anxious that you couldn't do anything. And so sometimes taking the pedals off, actually, your children can be creative and they'll learn from you because they can see you're having fun with them. And I think we need to just take the pressure off parents and children, perhaps a little bit at this stage.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. And I think the pressure is so high for, you know, the pressure we put on ourselves, not just around our kids, but on every other part of our lives um, is so through the roof at the moment for a lot of people that I think uh, yeah we need to, we need to just take take uh, that pressure off wherever we can uh, in all areas of our lives. Uh, to I mean for our own mental health and uh, well being as well as our children, right?
1: Absolutely. Be kind to yourself because if you're not. And, you know, I I, I posted something up a couple of weeks ago about making a holiday at home, create a holiday at home. You know, even if it is this weekend we're going camping in the garden, you know, um, and you have different food, even though we might be constrained what we can do, we we have got our imagination. And perhaps it's using that in a way that creates a different situation out of what we can
0: yeah and the and the warm weather was been a good example not everybody has access to, to open spaces so i recognise it wasn't for everybody but just um you know it, it, it that it can give you that sense of holiday can't it the the warm yeah. weather maybe getting outside so equally you can create things within your home environment that can hopefully give you that sense of fun um and, and that feeling of mm-hmm. holiday whether it's playing board games instead of watching tv or whatever yeah exactly. so yeah changing absolutely the
1: routine that. yeah changing yeah. the routine <laughs> And maybe it's eating something different for breakfast. You know, uh, you know, it it can be things that you do when you what are the things that excite you when you go on holiday? And it's thinking about some of those things and bringing them into the home, just even even for a day or two can make a big difference.
0: Amanda, I hope you're not suggesting chocolate pancakes for breakfast.
1: Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm suggesting.
0: Brilliant. Love it. And uh, yeah, I might have chocolate pancakes for breakfast now tomorrow. <laughs>
1: <There we go. laughs> Enjoy.
0: So Amanda, if people want to reach out to you, connect, um, find your content, what's the best way to do that?
1: Uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Prof Amanda Kirby. I'm on Twitter, Prof Amanda Kirby. And my emails Amanda amandak at doitprofiler.com. You should be able to find me. I'd love to connect
0: amazing absolutely wonderful i can hear my kids starting to go uh crazy in the background so <laughs> probably perfect timing for me to try and wrap the day up and uh, uh and do a bit of my fatherly duties and, and entertain them
1: great great to speak to you
0: always a pleasure thanks very much
1: you're welcome bye now
0: you've been listening to neurodiversity at work available on all good podcast hosts Please do sign up now, like, share and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.